Hey, Kingdom Roots friends. Thanks for joining us today. You're going to treat for the episode today because it is one of my favorite conversations that Scott and I have had on the podcast. We're rebroadcasting an episode that we did about a year ago on Paul's pastoral theology. And the reason we're rebroadcasting this is because Scott's new book, Pastor Paul, is coming out this Tuesday, September 3rd. So that would be a great chance um, for you to hear a conversation Scott and I have way back a year ago when the the book was still in its beginning stages. Um, But it is coming out this Tuesday. And we have a special opportunity for you as our podcast listeners that we want to give you as a thank you gift for ordering the book. So um, if you get on Amazon or wherever you purchase your books and pre-order or order the book before Friday, September 13th, we're giving you the first lecture of Scott's class that he did on Paul's pastoral theology. So we talk about the class in the podcast, but you can get the first recording of that class actually by purchasing the book and filling out a quick form online that you can find in the show notes. So we just want to say thank you for um, purchasing this. We really encourage you to, to go out and get it and um, think it'll be a great resource as you discern what it looks like as a pastor or a leader in the church to create a culture of Christoformity, of becoming like Christ in the image of Christ as you lead and pastor in your church. So thanks for joining us. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about Paul's pastoral theology. Well, Scott, it's good to get to talk to you again. It's kind of been a while since we've been able to sit down and and do one of these podcasts, hasn't it? Yes, uh, travel and yeah. technical difficulties and yeah. scheduling problems, but uh, glad we're back at it. Yeah, I know. We've you, you've had intensives that you've been doing, and I did some travel to Disney World and back now. Now I'm doing an intensive with um, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm doing an intensive with the, your friend David Fitch in Mission Shape Church. So <laughs> I need some Scott McKnight any, here any. to. Any five minutes with David Fitch is intensive. <laughs> oh, there we go. There, yeah. So, so much, so much more we could say on that. We'll have to leave it for maybe another time we get Fitch back on here and yeah, um, yeah. And, and work out stuff. So, um, well, we got a great conversation lined up. Looking forward to getting to to chat about Paul's pastoral theology. And this is actually a, you know, a class that you're going to be teaching this fall, and we'll we'll talk about more of that. If you know, you guys. We'd love all of you podcast listeners to maybe jump in and 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 listen and, and join Scott for that class. Um, but with this subject of the um, you know talking about what it means to be a pastor and what Paul thinks it means to be a pastor, um, part of that is definitely knowing your people. And um, we're I want to continue here right here at the the beginning set um, our Ask Scott segment that we said would be coming to you. Thank you for all of you listeners who've sent in questions. Um, really enjoyed getting to hear from you, and um, this is something that we'll do do regularly. So. Um, 
here's how it's connecting in, in my head. Um, Nate Ray asks a question, and we'll play it here in a little bit, but it has to do with um, knowing yourself, and part of that is obviously important when it comes to um, knowing others and, and being a pastor. So here's Nate's question. Hey, Scott. This is Nate Ray from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to know what your Enneagram number is. I have a hunch, but I want to hear it from you. Okay, well, Nate, the answer is I have absolutely no idea. I have never taken an Enneagram. I don't even really know what the Enneagram is. <laughs> so I um, just pick a number and you can assign it to me. You know, I thought when I listened to that question, I thought that might be what your response might be close to. Um, so, yeah, we'll have I mean, to. When, Nate when Chris, thinks he knows one. When, does she know about the Enneagram? No, I'm sure she does. She's a psychologist. Yeah. But when she was doing uh, her doctoral work, I took every psychology test that she had to learn to use and score. So I've taken Rorschach's and okay. MMPIs and, you know. I've done them several times just for practice for her. But um, by the time Myers-Briggs and, and Enneagram came along, uh, I was uh, she was not using those, and I didn't have to do them. So I have no – I don't even know what the Enneagram is about. So yeah, you'll have we'll have to you have to ask Nate about it. Uh, I know yeah. I'm a I'm a one. I'm a perfectionist, so that's part of it. I think there's nine of them. I'm not that familiar with it either, but um, we'll have to listeners. If you got a guess on what you think Scott's enneagram is, send it to me in an email at crobbins at seminary.edu, and maybe we can follow up on it. Also, if you have any other questions, you know, I'm uh, glad to get those, whether you want to email me at crobbins at seminary.edu or uh, go to our our page that we have where you can record a question like Nate did. I would love to hear from you. And I, I, of course, include that in the show notes. So, well, thanks for giving it a shot, Scott. Maybe. um, Yeah. We can we can figure it out. We can get you a test and by not knowing I'm that might be a number. There you go. That's probably part of it. <laughs> that probably that does say something about you. Yeah. Well, to uh, to transition into what we said we were going to talk about with Paul's pastoral theology, this is actually uh, a bit of a, a follow up episode. We have kind of talked about it a little bit before because um, this is something you've been talking about and, and really kind of working in, investigating. You know, what does Paul mean when he talks about the role of a pastor, and what does that look like in the churches that Paul was trying? to to shape and form and planted, and um, what does that mean for our world today as we as pastors, if you're a pastor listening or or in a church, you obviously um, are led in some capacity by a pastor, so what does that look like for our churches today? So as we get into it, one of the things you talked about last time was these five roles, um, expressions, um, I think kind of is how you talked about the different um, roles that pastors play. I wonder if maybe you can... um, Fill us back in, give us a, a quick refresher on what that was, and maybe talk about any other ways that you um, have, man, found some insights in what Paul might be talking about. Well, thanks, Chaz, and it's good to return to this topic. I spent two years working on this theme in Pauline letters uh, in preparation for lectures at the Nazarene Seminary in Kansas City with Andy Johnson. And... Um, 
so uh, the the manuscript is at the publisher with Baker, and I just heard yesterday there, it's in the process, and we're starting the editing. That's awesome. Um, sent the bibliography in this morning because it'll it'll make it easier for the editors to have a bibliography. But and and when it said that I talked about five roles or five elements of pastoral ministry, um, that was probably a summary of some things I was thinking about at the time. So I'm not absolutely certain what I said, but yeah. let, let me, let me put it this way. To me, the big idea is that pastors, uh, either create a culture if they plant the church, if they are the formative, uh, leader of a church and if they're not, they don't so much create the culture as they nurture a culture. Mm -hmm. So to me, a pastor is someone who, who nurtures a culture. And the culture that pastors are called to nurture in churches and in their own life, in their own family, and in their own circles, is what I call Christoformity. And that is Christ-likeness or being formed to the image of Christ. I'm playing off of a term by that has become pretty prevalent today by Michael Gorman, uh, cruciformity, relied upon my professor, James D.G. Dunn, who instead of cruciformity said it's Christiformity, and, and I agree with that, and it's not a disagreement so much with Gorman's substance as it is uh, a slightly reorient, a slight reorientation of the category itself to formed into a relationship with Christ. So I believe that, that a pastor's responsibility and a calling from uh, from the very beginning is to nurture Christoformity in a church culture, and uh, that means uh, a variety of things, but it it means at times encouraging what is there and other times subverting what is there and other times um, even had to rebuke what's there. So I see this prevalent in Paul's own theology and in his own practice as a pastor. So I'll, I'll start with that, is that a pastor is called to nurture a culture of Christoformity. You know, I think that's a, a really good— um distinction to be able to to say you know at the very foundation this is what it's all about and you know we can squabble over all of the specifics of the different roles but the the purpose of a pastor is to nurture a culture of Christoformity. And I wonder if you would yeah. have, and this is probably where you're going to get to next, but do you have any specifics of either Paul's writings or examples in Acts that you feel really exemplify how Paul makes sense of this? Well, uh, yes. Uh, but I, I want, in saying culture uh, is to nurture a culture of Christoformity, I, I want to make something pretty clear. And that is, uh, this sounds abstract. Uh, you know, I want Christoformity to be present. That sounds like ideas. That sounds like structures. That sounds like programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I would begin with this, that that Paul believed that a pastor is someone who pastors people. And in the—this uh, is an amazing statistic that I had a conversation with a couple pastors with this week. Um, in the recent study, Barna 
called the state of pastors is that, that most pastors, 66% of pastors, think the most important thing they do or the thing they like the most is preaching and teaching. And Barna, or David Kinnaman, whoever wrote it, mm-hmm. said there's a big drop-off from there. Only one in 10 is interested in developing other leaders. One in 12 prefers discipling believers. Uh, 6% like evangelizing and 5% pastoral care. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's add this up. That if if I'm right that a pastor's fundamental calling is to nurture crystal formality in people who are in his or her congregation, right now pastors who are in the business, if you want to use that language, yeah. only 13% value the things that I see that Paul valued, and that is nurturing crystal formity in people by pastoring people. So we'll back off and say pastors pastor people. They don't pastor and they don't pastor audiences and they don't pastor sermons. They pastor people and they preach out of the context of pastoring people. So uh, we, we have a big, we have a big challenge on our hands is that we have a lot of pastors out here who think the primary thing they do is preach and teach. And I, I will tell you that I, I used to believe that that was the fundamental challenge of a pastor. And many years ago, a friend of mine who sadly passed away from cancer became a pastor, and he couldn't read Greek. He didn't have the slightest idea what Hebrew was, but his church was flourishing. And I, I realized that Kevin was a pastor. He knew how to pastor people, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a big learning moment for me, and it shifted how I began to think about what pastors do. So, you know, if you look at the Apostle Paul's language, say in Thessalonians, uh, he, he talks about uh, caring for his people the way a father carries for cares and nurtures children. So Paul's fundamental language for the relationship of a pastor to the people is parenting. Uh, it is, and he, and he sees himself as a sibling with the others. So it's not like he wants to be called father and he's only a father. He's a sibling who has a calling of nurturing um, Christoformity in people in his care. So that, to me, is one of the most important things that we can see about pastoring. If pastoring is a calling to nurture Christoformity in, a, in the people in a congregation, then it begins when pastors realize that it's all about people. I was reading Colossians 1 as it turns into Colossians 2 the other day, and I noticed all the you language, you, 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 uh, and I can summarize all the participles and verbs that Paul uses there as nurturing, admonishing and teaching and all this sort of thing. But I was so, so struck by the attention that Paul understood himself to be doing. It was, he was working with people. He was, and sure, it was a congregation, but this isn't 5,000 people. This is maybe 20, 30 people in a household. Uh, maybe it was 15, 
And he wrote to this congregation, and he was talking to them at a very personal level. And we see this in Colossians chapter 2, and Colossians, I mean, 2 Corinthians 2, and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul's heart is so vulnerable and so sensitive to how the Corinthians are responding to him, and he's getting information about these Corinthians from Titus, from people like Timothy and Titus and Epaphras, that Paul heard how his congregations, how the churches, how the people in those house churches were doing. And when they were doing well, he erupts into joy. And when they're not doing well, he descends into depression and into darkness because Paul is so and psychologically and pastorally invested in Christian people growing in Christ and acting like they live in Christ. So this is, uh, this is a theme that I think we need to develop when it comes to Paul as a pastor. So I'll sum this up, Chaz, that Paul thinks a pastor is someone who nurtures or creates Christoformity in people in a congregation, and it begins with pastoring people. That's good. You know, you're talking about the stats from the um, Barna study. It makes me curious as to what you think some of the forces might be shaping pastors' expectations and what they—I mean, I'm part, part of it is— like how they answered and what they prefer and what they want to do. But why do you do you feel like some of the ways in which you feel and have found Paul to describe pastoring being a little different from what it seems like the expectations or the desires of the um of current pastors are in the world today. Okay. This is because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I would have said it was seminary professors who were teaching future pastors uh, how to understand the Bible, how to understand theology, church history, etc. And they were very impressive in their knowledge, and their style rubbed off on pastors, and the much and their esteem for their professors uh, led them to want to be like them when they. They became pastors and teachers. So I used to think that, you know, we could blame this on seminary professors. And I think some of this is, is there. But we have the vast majority, not the vast, but I, I heard 65% of pastors today in the United States. I heard this number. I don't know if it's accurate, but let's say it is. 65% of pastors in the United States today do not have a seminary degree or a seminary education. Well, if that's the case, then clearly it is not seminary professors who are shaping this. And I think that if seminary professors play their part in creating this image that the fundamental task of a pastor is to preach and teach, I would say the role models that the church has exalted, that media have exalted, that publishers have exalted, uh, those role models of pastors have become even more influential. So we think of people like, like uh, you know, who, who are the people, who are the, the pastors that young pastors emulate? 
not too long ago, I talked to Sky Jathani, who had been talking about, um, who had been investigating, in a sense, researching, probing, asking questions about young pastors and pastor groups about uh, where they were getting their, uh, you know, what was their primary source of information about pastoring, et cetera. And he discovered that it was the Internet and it was connected primarily to people like Tim Keller, Mark Driscoll, mm -hmm. uh, Bill Hybels, Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, is that these have become the fundamental role models for pastors today. Well, let's face it. These are very, very successful people. Mm -hmm. And they are, what we see of them is predominantly their past, their preaching and their teaching roles on stage, in books, and in, in um, internet sites where they tell everybody uh, how to do everything. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's negative, uh, but they, they give instruction. This has become the primary role model. These have become the primary role models to pastors today. And what we see in what they do is their teaching and preaching. And we don't hear that much about their pastoral activity. And even more, we don't see their pastoral activity because we're not in their churches. Whereas the average pastor of a church in the United States has a congregation of 72 people, um, the idea that this pastor, male or female, is going to have star power like Andy Stanley or Rick Warren or Tim Keller is, is outlandish. Mm -hmm. And what the average pastor, I'm thinking of students of mine like Steve Talley in, in the Dakotas, yeah. Or Becky Castle Miller in Maastricht, uh, Holland. What we what we see is that they, they're they're working with people, they're meeting with people, they're talking to people, they're praying with people, they're marrying people, they're burying people. This is the fundamental aspect of pastoring. So um, I think your question, Chaz, is a really good one. And while I would like to, to put blame on, on seminary professors, it is probably far more influential today that the role models that we have as pastors mm -hmm. is the role model of a star, superstar, preaching, teaching, and in, in amazingly gifted ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, you listen to Andy Stanley and you go, wow, that guy is funny, mm -hmm. he's clever, he's insightful. He can communicate to everybody in that congregation. You listen to Rick Warren. He can turn great ideas into very simple programs. I mean, Tim Keller, a reformed theologian with great theological depth, but he has an ability to preach sermons that are clear as a bell and write books that are very helpful for ordinary Christians. So those have become our role models. And the thing that we see most is their teaching and preaching, and we don't see their pastoral activity enough. That's not a criticism of them so much as it is the way our system is working right now, and it's breeding pastors 
who want to be teachers and preachers Mm -hmm. rather than people who pastor people. Yeah, I think that's helpful to clarify and point out and to be able to know that, like you said, there is value in some of the incredible work that those figures like the Rick Warrens, the Andy Stanleys, the Tim Kellers are doing. And we should appreciate that and value it and see it as the asset that it is for the entire kingdom of God, but also not let ourselves be turned over in... um, idolizing that or jealousy or envy or whatever it may be to feel like we have to live up to that, that everybody has to play that role. And I think the danger in that is it creates um, really unhealthy expectations and pressures that both the pastor puts on themselves and even sometimes the the churches and, um, and leadership boards and et cetera can put on pastors, which begin to, to not foster this very thing that you so clearly identified as what Paul is saying pastoring is all about and cultivating a culture of a, a community of cruciformity, of Christoformity. And yeah. um, I, I yeah. guess that's my hope for what hopefully some of the— um, this work of yours will be able to do. Um, and I wonder, it, what do you see as, what's your hope that this material gets out into the into the streams, into the church? What do you hope to see as a result of what your material says? All right. Well, I, I would say, um, as we close down this session, yeah. I, I, I would say the first thing I want to communicate clearly is that I'm not telling pastors what to do. I'm not a pastor. I'm a professor. Mm-hmm. And the couple years that I was a youth pastor are not the basis for anything I have to say today because I, I had no idea what I was doing. All right. So that's the first thing is I'm not trying to tell pastors what to do. I'm trying to describe what Paul thought pastoral life was about. So so I, I want to Offer to pastors as a gift my work on this theme in Paul to encourage them in what they're doing. Uh, I think the pastoral calling is a noble calling that deserves far more respect in our society today than it has, and that I'm trying to encourage pastors to be their calling and as a result to... uh, shine a light in their community on what um, the church can be, uh, who Jesus is, and uh, what a community can become when it becomes um, centrally focused on Christoformity. Yeah, that's good. And I think that would be a beautiful blessing to the church to be able yeah. to, to have that. So um, so to wrap up, like we said at the beginning of the episode, this is, is something that um, obviously we couldn't talk about all in one podcast episode here, but you're teaching a class here at Northern Seminary that is Paul's pastoral theology. And uh, like I said at the beginning, this is something um, you, our podcast listeners, this is the, the you're the first people that we're sharing this with. Um, this is not just a, a class that's going to be for Northern students. This is something that we want to open up and give the opportunity for anyone to audit um, this class. And that would be primarily through our Northern live learning platform option that you could join the class from anywhere. Um, it's going to be Mondays 4 to 640 if I remember right. Um, so if you're interested in this at all, 
please email me at crobbins at seminary.edu. And I would love to, to hear from you and I can just let you know some more of the details. Um, but Scott, would you have any insight on what the rest of the class time might be that you guys would cover um, in the 10 weeks together? Yes. Um, Chaz, you might want to spell Robbins. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, so that, that might help everybody. So. Yeah, that's C-R-O-B-B-I-N-S, two B's in Robbins. Um, I th- I'm glad you said that, Scott. I thought about that earlier today when I give out my e- email. I don't ever say that there's two B's in Robbins. So that's yeah, so. C-R-O-B-B-I-N-S dot, at seminary.edu. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, we're going to look at major themes, but we'll spend a day talking about uh, how people understand the pastoral role. Uh, so it'll be that'll be a very practical day. I mean, it'll be one that pastors uh, will resonate with because it's describing, in a sense, what they are doing, the various dimensions. Then I, I'm going to look at themes like friendship. I'm going to look at themes, uh, uh, the pastor as a sibling and pastor as nurturing a sibling culture in a church. I'm going to talk about uh, pastors nurturing a culture of generosity. Uh, I'm going to talk about the importance of a pastor being able to tell her or his story. So a storytelling culture, but also a second part of that is knowing the story of God uh, in the Bible. Talk about pastors as subverting worldliness. So a part of the culture is a part of a pastoral task is to subvert one culture and replace it with Christoformity. And we will also talk about the importance of nurturing a culture of wisdom. Uh, I don't feel like I've covered all of the major themes of pastoral theology in Paul. Uh, I never tried that. Um, I knew I was going to give three lectures in Kansas City, and I knew it had to be a book, and I thought three chapters in a book are not very long, and I didn't I didn't want to write a big, long chapter, so I decided on eight. So I've, I'm, I developed eight themes and feel like there's another five out there. Uh, but right now, I don't have any intention on filling those in. But some of those will come up in class, like preaching and um, leading. Some of those kinds of themes will come up as we talk in the class. But those, those will be the themes we dip into. We'll be looking closely at Paul's letters uh, if I bring up Greek, I will clarify it for the students, for anyone listening. And we would love to have um, a bundle of people decide to uh, join us as auditors and participants in the class. So thank you. Yeah, that would be great. So again, if you're interested in that, my email is crobbins, that's C-R-O-B-B-I-N-S, at seminary.edu, and I can give you the next steps from there that you can take if you're interested. So, um, well, thanks for the conversation, Scott, today. It's been good to get back together and, and chat a little about the kingdom, huh? Yep. That's right. It's been good. Good deal. Well, I hope it has been helpful uh, again to you listeners that, uh, man, as you just think about whether you are a pastor or a part of a church and um, do some pastoring yourself in a a, a different role. Um, Hopefully this has been helpful to think about what it may be that uh, is shaping your expectation of pastoring and how you can conform to Scripture and what Paul talks about and what it means to be a pastor. Because we know you're the ones that are 
are, are bringing the kingdom um, to the world that we live in. So thanks for joining us, and we look forward to joining you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 